might like to share a, a little bit about what's happening at Simpson University uh, and uh, bake that into a message that might leave you with something to think about personally today. So I'm going to talk about Jonah, and I don't want you to, to uh, my disclaimer is, I don't think of myself as Jonah, and uh, I, Redding is not Nineveh, okay? <laughs> Although when it got really hot, uh, yeah, when I interviewed, I came from the Midwest, and they said, listen, you're going to have the second sunniest city in the United States, and we get a little bit of rain and no snow. Well, maybe a wispy bit of snow. It's just a beautiful place. In my first 40 days, we had an enormous fire. And indeed, it did not rain until October. And then it rained until March, I think. And somewhere in there, one night, we got a foot of snow. And they all said, oh, that only happens every 50 years. Yeah, right. Okay. <clears throat> so my wife and I come from, she's from Northern Ireland. And then more recently, we're from the Midwest. Cardinal fans, Southern Illinois, Allison, raise a hand. And on the way out, you might notice that Sarah will be at the table. We have some material <clears throat> for you. If you know young people, if you have some young people in your family, look, uh, the, uh, CNMA, Christian Missionary Alliance, is concerned about the Great Commission, right? I am of the opinion that the Great Commission may be most served best, pound for pound, in our colleges today. Think about young people that graduate, and a lot of them are going to the big state schools. Now, I worked at a couple of really big state schools. I can tell you that there's a strong differentiation between what happens at the big state schools and what happens at Simpson. I'm not Oris or, or uh, Nyack or, or Biola, where your pastor went. There's a really deliberate focus on the infusion of Christ in life. Now, I'm not here to put down those other schools. There's great education happening there. But you should know uh, from where my heart comes from as I speak to you today. Okay. So there are four. There, I, you know, I just can never uh, decide on a title for this talk. Uh, here's a few. Am I a big man? And uh, then... Hesitant to go, too comfortable, or prepare to be astonished. Or here's another one, uh, Jonah, the often miscast flannel graph coward. Okay, so I'll just tell you this story. Uh, it, the story could be uh, things are not always as they seem. So what's the Lord up to and what's he up to in your heart? Here's the story. So I was vice president, dean of students for 17 years. And at the end of that, I began to move into a new uh, vice president position where I was traveling the world, setting up relationships to send students from abroad to the United States. Again, part of the Great Commission at another Christian school. Uh, so let's zoom up to, I was in Nicaragua, and I don't speak very much Spanish. And that never seemed to slow me down. I was by myself. Uh, and I'm just going to tell you right now, Google, uh, I'm not going to tell you about Google Translate. Just be careful. <clears throat> anyway, I was uh, in Nicaragua, and I was by myself. And, you know, there are seasons of safety and not-so-safe 
places there. And, and in the evenings, I would call the family just to check in, leaving a little bit of FaceTime, had my little iPad, and I'd call, and the kids would be laughing. On this particular day, I was in a lobby of a hotel. Now, let's say I'm sitting here, and there's a little furniture suite right here, and I'm sitting there. And where the doors are, there's a guy with a window, because before you went to bed, you had to go over there to get your towels to go to bed. All the central business happened there. Behind me is three pool tables, a bar, and a restaurant lounge with big open windows. And off to my left, there's a big open doorway to a, a pool where people are splashing and having fun and talking loudly. So... So I was talking, sitting on the couch with my wife, and the kids are all around, and we're laughing and talking, and uh, some fella sits down next to me, and he's maybe Pastor Nathan's size, maybe a little heavier, and he's looking at me very intensely, so much so that I got a little uncomfortable. So you know how you have thoughts in the back of your head while you're asking the kids about their school day, you're thinking, I wonder if I'm too loud, maybe I'm too loud. So he continues to kind of stare at me. So finally I went to Google Translate and I looked up, am I too loud? And so I said what the translation was and then he really looked unhappy. He stared at me all the more <clears throat> and I thought, well, I must be too, I must have, I popped my ears on the plane and nobody has told me that I'm speaking really loudly. So I asked him again and he, his eyebrows came down and he stared at me, and, and so I said to Allison, uh, I must, there must be something going wrong here. I better get off, because I'm here by myself, and, and this is not going well. And I said one more time to the guy, am, am I too loud? And, and he got up and left rather smartly. And so I closed up my laptop and thought I better get off to my room. So I went over to get my towels, <clears throat> and the guy behind the towel stand was, seemed a little amused. And I said, hey, listen, I need a favor. I've been on a plane. My ears have been popping. Do I sound like I'm talking really loudly? And he laughed, and he said, in a soft laugh, he said, do you want me to explain to you what was happening there? I said, okay. He said, that guy was just waiting for his family, and you kept saying to him with increasing intensity, am I a big man? Listen, am I a big man? Look, one more time. Am I a big man? And he kept saying, un poquito, a little bit of a big man. So we have to laugh at ourselves. We have to, we have to read ourselves in the scripture. We have to wonder what the Lord is up to. This morning, I'm going to share with you a little bit of a story of what I think the Lord was up to in my life uh, through the story of Jonah. Now again, I, I do not, I don't push myself up as an example of superstardom of, of any sort. Uh, this is, this is uh, reading myself in the scripture, believing that the Lord is talking to each and every one of us all the time, uh, and that quite often only a few of us, and we all have brave moments, and we all have cowardice moments in our lives, and I've had a lot of both, probably less on the brave side. Nonetheless, I want to tell it through the story of the, uh, let's go to the next slide. I was, I was super happy 
I had designed and built that house with my wife. We lived there 20 years. And uh, next slide. That's in the Midwest. There's all the kids. And the next slide. I had a lot of friends. There's our dog, Lewis. Uh, we sometimes read together. And then uh, the next slide. <clears throat> I had no idea the friends that I would make, like Dan Pinkston, on the other side of the continent. I was totally caught unaware. I had thought for a long time that anybody that wanted to be a president of a university had an ego problem or a cognitive problem. But sometimes if you've been around for 20 years, people begin to talk to you about it, and you say, oh, I'd like to have a fancy title. And then, then another voice in your head says, what are you talking about? Be quiet. Go home. Go love your wife. But then people will say, you know, in Christian higher education, we need people who are sold out on Jesus. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be willing. And uh, you think about that a little bit, and eventually the Lord begins to speak to you. And so I was over 50, and I thought, hey, Lord, you know, I built my house. I'm going to cruise into retirement here. I know where I'm going to be buried up on the hill in town. Uh, all of my friends are here. My family's all here. And I started reading this book by Richard Rohr called Falling Upward, uh, wherein he, uh, he helped me understand that I don't decide when the Lord's done with me. And I'm hoping, as I speak today, that the Lord's whispers that are happening in your head and heart are coming through all the more. So now let's go back to Jonah. Let's go to the next slide. <clears throat> when I was a kid, flannel graph was the, the iPad of the day. Anybody else remember that? Now, I want to see if anybody holds their hands up. Did any, we had a church basement where Sunday school was. So I remember my buddies and I faking like we had to go to the bathroom so we could go in the church basement and put all the flannel graphs up and make our own stories. <laughs> anybody else do that? All right, uh, I have a compadre there. So, yeah, so I remember Mrs. Luganbill putting these up. Mrs. Luganbill had uh, five daughters, and they, we called them the Bugles because they, uh, we always, we lived out in the country, and we rode in and out of town to our church together. And the flannel graph, I'll never forget, she described Jonah as a coward. Anybody else have... Someone described to you Jonah's coward, cowardly? Okay. I think Jonah's miscast. So let's, let's just read from Jonah. Oh, and by the way, this was also part of the God journey. I was in Taiwan, and they asked me to speak at Morrison Academy, and the Lord said, study Jonah. Okay. I had no idea that almost three years later now that this same message would have such appeal and such pull. So here we go. Uh, Jonah goes to Nineveh. Uh, if you have your Bible, Jonah chapter 3, 1 through 5 and 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city and proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. 
A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered in sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent. And with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw that they, what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And so I would remind you that we all have one, we're one person, but together we have a mighty voice. And did you know that there are more Christians alive now than ever in time in history? While some folks are saying, oh, Christians, uh, you know, where are they? Well, there's more of us than ever. I just wonder if we're raising our voice. I wonder if we're raising our voice to the youth that need to know God has a special plan for your life. It's not just about money. In fact, at Simpson, we want to graduate students of effusive faith, critical competence. Let me say what I mean by critical competence. You guys know what I mean. It's not about being a critic. The last 20 years, we've, we've, uh, education has focused a lot on being critical. Critical competence is the combination of being infused, having something that you're passionate about, knowing something about life or a lot about life and being able to draw that into a life of engagement. So faith-infused, critically competent, motivated to be engaged, to do, to stand up, to start the parade, to speak up, to stand for Jesus when it's uncomfortable. That's what Simpson, your Alliance University, wants to be happening. Now, like, like the pastor said, a lot of Christian universities were in trouble. And uh, Simpson was in trouble, frankly. Uh, our accreditation had fallen on tough times. Uh, our fundraising had depleted and our student body was decreasing every year. And that's not a place you want to be. And when I learned that, and when I learned about the history of A.B. Simpson, who laid it all on the line, A.B. Simpson, great. I mean, we have the alliance because A.B. Simpson, you know, maybe you don't know, uh, in New York City, he was a Presbyterian minister, and he was going down to the docks. He was the up-and-coming minister of New York at the time. And he was going down to the docks and bringing the Italians to church. And the Presbyterians, apparently not Italian, uh, said, no, no, we're, done. we're not doing that. And he said, well, I'm unapologetic evangelical. This is what the Lord has called me to, so I guess we're parting ways. And the CNMA was born. That's a short story right? So here's what's going on. A.B. Simpson, Nineveh, uh, uh, sorry, Jonah. So here's the setting. Did you know, did you know that the outskirts of Nineveh is Mosul modern day? So before we get too critical of Jonah, uh, the Assyrians were uh, chopping Jonah's people's heads off and putting them on sticks. It was the brutalest of brutal you can imagine. Not too far off of what's happened in Mosul in the last three years. 
There's a deep hatred uh, against a Christian God who lives and breathes and was born, died, and rose again. In fact, when the when the ISIS was in uh, Mosul, there was a tribute to Jonah there, and they blew it up like ten times over because they still resent so much the notion of a personal relationship with a living God. And they're still killing people and still putting their heads on sticks. So before we get too critical of Jonah, I don't know anybody, including myself in here, that wants to get the next ticket there. That's a pretty tough place to go. But I think, I think Jonah, like a lot of us, like me in Illinois, over a period of 10 years, the Lord is saying, I have something more for you to do. And it wasn't just, you know, Jonah makes it look like a short conversation, right? It may have been over a number of years. And I think each of us have Nineveh moments. I just think on that occasion, in my humble opinion, God may have been talking to a thousand people. And Jonah, in his uh, humble ambivalence and yet desire to please the Lord, finally said yes. But he quivered in that space. Even then, he quivered in that space. Okay, I'll go. Hey, maybe I don't want to go. So he gets on the ship going the wrong way. And he's praying like we are, afraid. Lord, use me. Ah, maybe not that much. So he, we know the story, you know, he, he tells the sailors, this is my fault. Throw me off so you can all be safe. Also pretty nice statement from him. Fish gobbles him up, spits him out on dry land. God said, I still want you to go to Nineveh. I don't know if anybody else have you ever said this to God, like, like he did. Okay, 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 I'll go. You swallowed me up with a fish. That was uncomfortable. Spit me up on dry land. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. Jonah still did not want to go, but he had one hope. Maybe they would not repent and God would destroy them after all. At least one studied scholar said that Jonah was not excited about what he was doing. And he went only part of the way into the city and then gave the shortest sermon on record. Something like this. Forty days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And then he ran for the getting out of there. Incredibly, these persons who did not believe in Yahweh repented. All of them, including the king who called for a general fast and put on sackcloth and ashes. The king recognized that repentance does not guarantee anything. God remains free to accomplish his divine will. The king did everything he could to save his people. Jonah also knew that God was free to do whatever God wanted. For the king, that was a word of hope. For Jonah, was a word of despair. But yet, he had been obedient. And God used him. If we race to the New Testament, there's a similar story in Luke 5, 1 through 11. You remember Jesus was going to preach at the lake of Gennesaret. The people were crowding around him. And there was some fishermen out there. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there from the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats belonging to Simon, and he said, uh, 
would you mind putting me out here? I can imagine the conversation. I need to create a little bit of an amphitheater here because people are crushing me, and I, want, I have an important word to share. I want you to just push me out there a little bit. So you can imagine Simon. I've been working all night. I'm stinking. I didn't catch anything. But, yeah, I guess you're kind of a big deal. Okay. So he pushes his boat out there a little ways from shore. And Jesus sat and taught from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deeper water and let the net down, uh, let your nets down to catch some fish. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. What he's really thinking is, Really? You're a minister. I'm a fisherman. Why don't you do your thing and I'll do my thing? Anybody else ever say that to God? God, do your thing. I, I got this. When he had done so, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners and the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled the boats so that the boats began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished. You you see my other title? Prepare to be astonished. In your life, be prepared to be astonished by God if we simply, if we but simply obey. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. What was going on there? This is a story of Jesus making a calling and a person responding. So I'll just take a break now. There might be somebody in here right now that hasn't accepted Christ yet, and you have this strange warmth in your heart. Maybe today's the day. Maybe today's you say, okay, I'm in. I hear you, Father. I feel you. It's not going so good with me being in charge. My nets keep coming back empty. I'm ready to do. Uh, take a step. So the setting of the story is a time when Jesus was preaching. He needed to get out on the water. The fishermen were tired and grumpy. Simon, whom Jesus had asked for assistance with the boat, had no idea what was coming. Maybe like us on most days. Jesus finished teaching and told Simon, throw your nets in. And they were blessed. My study guide said, Jesus gave Simon his voice that day. Sounds a little bit like Jonah. God gave him his voice, and he used it powerfully. And Simon, Lord, I am a sinful man. I do not deserve even your presence. I'm a man stinking from fish and sweat in the sun and bursting open with confession of sin. And yet Jesus saw in him what was possible. Remember Ephesians 2.10 where God said in Scripture, The master craftsman that is God created us that through Christ Jesus we could become everything that he imagined. And folks, without making too big of a commercial, that's what you're trying to do here, right? And that's what we're trying to do at Simpson so that we can push the darkness back and bring the light of Jesus to the world. 
So we see ourselves as the gateway to world service, trying to pick up from where the good work in your local church as you've been doing to bring up a next generation to know and live and love Jesus. So this is what I know. The Lord is always preparing us to be astonished. More often than not, it is us who says, I'm comfortable here, I'd rather not. So I'd like to punctuate today in the same way that I think your faculty are trying to punctuate your lives. Punctuate today, kind of wake up for a minute and say, okay, Father, I have been hearing you. And I have come up with a lot of different excuses to not follow your lead. But today I'm in. And, uh, you know, I'm all gray and I'm over 50 and I thought the Lord was done with me. So nobody gets a buy. In fact, one time I was having this experience and I went to a, a seminar with about a thousand people there and a 95-year-old missionary who had come from Africa uh, only because she could no longer walk and they pulled her out in a chair because she wanted to say something. And they told all about her and they said, what is it that you want to say to this crowd? Over a thousand people. And she said in kind of a raspy voice, she said, if God calls you, get on to it. And she believed earnestly that her next call, even though the wheelchair called her home, her next call was to come home and continue to share the message. Who in your world needs to hear the message of Jesus? What has Lord been calling you in that still quiet voice and you've been making excuses and it's time? And maybe it's something really simple. Maybe it's you're going to talk to somebody in, in a cubicle next year about Jesus unapologetically. Maybe there's a young person that's been coming to church or you've seen him at the library and you're going to say, hey, let's have coffee. Let's talk about your future. Let me ask where you are with Jesus. Do you know there's a living God? There's more to this life than what most people are telling you. Maybe that's what he's calling. Maybe he's calling you to say I'm sorry to a mate, a husband, a wife, a child. I don't know. But I know he's calling. So, the post log on the story. I was struggling mightily. And my dad, my dad, who's a really quiet guy who loves the Lord, a coach and teacher, showed up at my house. We always got together for a little barbecue after church. He showed up walked in the side door and he said, he said, you know, I don't do this very much, but have you read Ephesians 2.10 recently? Because we're all struggling with this notion of you leaving. But if this is the call of God on your life, that through Christ he would make you whole so that you could do what you're designed for, then we'd better call the moving truck. Now here's what's happened at Simpson University since then. And just to be clear, that song that was sung there, Dan and I have been on a similar journey wondering what the Lord was calling us to. It is not just me. It's a whole bunch of folks coming to the table and saying, as Oswald Chambers says, uh, pray for God-sized things and then leave room for the, uh, him at the table. There was a whole bunch of people at Simpson that said, we want to lean fully into what God's calling. And we all got together and said, okay, let's do that. Let's be 100%, as much as we can muster up, 100% devoted to the Lord, bringing all of our gifts and skills to the table. So since that time in two years, here's what's happened. We grew for the first time in several years, 30 students beyond our 
our uh, budget. In the sec- second year, we grew 51 students beyond our budget, and we're, a- we're, uh, we're going to deliver uh, probably 20% more next year. Right now, that's what our pace is. Uh, we started a new chapel program. We saw baptisms in the residence halls. We had three or more awards presented as colleges of distinction. We won the NAI Gold Star Award for Sportsmanship, Academic Success, and Service five years in a row. Our fundraising outpassed the prior year by 900000 And most recently, I applied to two granting agencies that said very clearly they only give to bricks and mortar, but they were so compelled that we wanted to engage and support youth in the North State with STEM programs and digital media, CIS, and engineering that they gave us a million dollars. We started new sports, track, swimming and diving, women's wrestling, men's volleyball, and bass fishing, and fielded teams in every sport this year. Um, Then... uh, Uh, We also started internationalization program. We had 24 internationals the first year and 48 the next year. And then um, we started kinesiology with 29 students just this year. Accreditation went over the moon. We had the best accreditation we've ever had. Our nursing program is now ranked eighth in the state of California. And that's number one Christian school in California. And then uh, this year we had 36, 35 decisions for Christ in chapel. Folks, it's my belief that when we lean into the Father's call that he blesses us like mad. At your church, in your home, at our college, we have only to go in and whisper the name of Jesus and then believe. So I'll close with this as a prayer. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly or in compulsion. But for God's love, but for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things and all times, having all that you need, You will abound in every good work. Amen. I'll leave you with this. Sarah's out in the hallway. Uh, We have Alliance Legacy Scholarships now, and we don't make a bunch of money. We're just being obedient. Uh, Anybody who's going to an Alliance church that wants to be at Simpson University, send their students to grow up, to live lives of faith, critical competency and engagement. We'll give $15,000 a year. Uh, Plus, there's a what we call a skin in the game grant, um, if you scholarship, if you have somebody else who sponsors you, we'll match them up to $3,000. So a uh, number of students showing up with $21,000 in scholarship right at the get-go because we believe that strongly that the Lord's going to bless us if we lean in and, and, and serve the Great Commission. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody.